0: Today we have a wonderful guest, Lloyd Lobo, co-founder and president of both.ai. Lloyd, welcome to the show. I'm looking forward to getting to know you and understanding what you are doing and uh, you know brainstorming with our audience on what you're doing.
1: Definitely thanks for having me. I've been a long-standing fan of your show and excited to be on finally.
0: Where are you from?
1: I am um, a combination of things. Um, I grew up in Kuwait, my parents are from India, um, and uh, you know, from from a place called Mangalore.
0: Okay, very good. In,
1: in India, okay. where there were like, I guess, remnants of the Portuguese flying in from Goa, or <laughs> kind yeah. of thing. I so spent I, have a a, I have a very...
0: Vacation with my parents in Goa, just before the pandemic, it was very really nice. Definitely.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, my, so, so I think my family, um, was from there. My mom grew up in Mumbai my dad grew up in Mangalore. Um, but I was born in Kuwait and then, um, moved to Canada, did engineering there. And, af- uh, pretty I was a refugee of the Gulf war in the nineties. We then a oh. few years after moved to Canada and then after engineering in 2006, uh, moved to the United States.
0: Okay. And where, uh, what part of this, Yes, are you working out of right now?
1: I'm in the Bay Area. I'm oh, in Castle Valley. Oh, yeah,
0: yeah. Right, are you in so the Bay Area I'm, as well? I'm in Menlo Park, yeah, right off the Road. Nice. I've been in the Bay Area for a long time. So um, let's talk about both.ai. What is the genesis and what kind of background brings you to both.ai?
1: Yeah, definitely. So. Boast AI is a fintech platform that helps companies identify, claim, and finance R&D tax credits and government incentives. Globally, hundreds of billions of dollars are given in government incentives to fund innovation. But the application process is cumbersome. It's manual. It's prone to frustrating audits, and it takes a long time to get the money. And what we do is we integrate with the company's technical systems and financial systems to pull that data in real time through the year to then identify what they qualify for, how much they get back, and then finance it. So they're getting more money faster for less time and risk. It's a different type of non-dilutive capital, effectively. Mm
0: -hmm. Interesting, so um, let me try to re-spin what you said, and and you tell me if I understood this right, and and audience, you're also welcome to you know, this is complex, right? What so you're talking about is it, quite complex. So there are tax credits that governments and various agencies provide, and they're very difficult to apply for, and, and they're long, you know, time-consuming, and you have to wait for it and so forth. What you're saying is you look at the company's financials and other uh, heuristics to figure out what the company would qualify for, and then submit that application based on your evaluation of what they would qualify for and then finance it, and then you get the credit back to to pay back that uh, that credit. Is that, is that a good summary of what you said?
1: That's a fantastic summary, right? Like like I was saying, it, it's a cumbersome process, meaning if you work with your accounting firms, you're always looking back and trying to figure out what work qualifies. And then in between there, once you file the application, you may get audited from the government. And that whole process, it takes like 16 plus months to get the money because you have to spend a year's worth of R&D or product development expenses to then file it with your taxes and then get the money. And we're saying, hey, use Boast, integrate your technical and financial systems. We'll analyze uh, what you performed in R&D. We'll figure out what the cost is and how it qualifies for these incentives. And we'll give you the money now and then we'll take the We'll take the um, uh, the fee or the money on the back end when the government pays you yeah.
0: and uh, what so i understand the financial signals i can, i imagine you integrate with the accounting system like a quickbooks or whatever and, and pull the financials from there what when you talk about D assessment what are we talking about what can you assess?
1: Definitely project management systems uh, in the tech uh, sense, like software companies, we're looking at their JIRA and GitHub, right? So one of the things is people don't time track. And one of the most important things to figure out how much to claim, you need to figure out who spend what time on these projects. But in the the product development space, everyone is agile, they're not time tracking. So we integrate with their JIRA, their GitHub to see who's spending how much time on projects. And we have automations where um, algorithms that figure out time tracking on an individual basis on a weekly monthly quarterly basis so then what we do is we we look at the projects they're working on we figure out who spent how much time on it then we map it to payroll like we have integrations with companies like Gusto and ADP Um, then we map it to QuickBooks to look at uh, like you know what other expenses they spend money on it could be local contractors it could be hosting costs and then we fill out the automate the application process and everything downstream so effectively we're collecting, R&D tax credit is a beachhead for us, um, because my co-founder used to run this uh, at KPMG. He was um, a manager in the R&D tax credit team. And he said, it's a very manual broken process. It's like at the end of the year, we would go to companies and say, give us your shoe box. But that shoebox is just not your receipts. It's everything you did in R&D. And it's very hard for engineering managers and CTOs to remember the work they did in product development that meets this criteria. Uh, And then these big four accounting firms would leverage the R&D tax practice, right? To then do digital transformation consulting for these clients. And so our beachhead is, hey, we're automating these R&D tax credits, but now we're sitting on valuable data. What else can we unlock for them? Can we unlock different types of financing? Can we unlock um, opportunities for digital transformation? Meaning like who you should hire? What projects are generating more ROI? those kinds of things, right? Help you innovate faster, and uh, and those are some of the upsell products we will have in the next couple of years.
0: Talk to me a little bit about what can be had as R&D tax credit. From a, yeah. you know, our world is uh, relatively small companies that are, you know, building products basically. So, what uh, what can you get as tax credit?
1: Definitely, so it depends on um, you know where the bulk of this audience is, but if you're in the US, then um, you're, let's assume you're a startup that has less than five years of revenue, you can get about 10% of your product development spend as a cash back. So that means, let's say you're spending a million dollars in R&D, you can get $100,000 uh, in R&D credits that offsets your payroll taxes and you get 100,000 back from the government. That's a very simple way to put it. Um, every state also has a program. So this was the federal I talked about, every state also has a program. But the thing is, most states are not refundable. Now let's assume you're a startup in Canada, In the Canadian government gives you 64% of your R&D spend as a cash back. And in fact, we, we eat our own dog food, although I'm based oh. in the Bay Area, we have about 70 people in Canada. Um, the canadian government is very lucrative in terms of the r&d incentive so you get 64% of the r&d spend if you're a canadian corporation um, as a cashback and that is huge because look at it if you're spending million in r&d in the us you're getting 100,000 in canada you're getting 640,000 cashback and and think about it right most companies are not even 5 10% net profit most startups are zero so 100,000 really if you had to, if you may, had to put a hundred thousand on your bottom line or six hundred thousand on your bottom line, you're gonna spend all kinds of money to to do that. So it's been very very lucrative. And then globally, if you look at it, UK, Australia, France, New Zealand, uh, Ireland, all the R&D tax credits are north of thirty percent. So, in a sense, the U.S. has the worst R&D tax credit program, but something is better than mm-hmm. nothing. It's still ten percent.
0: All right. So um, let's talk about your entrepreneurial journey. Um, where did you start, and how did this come together? It sounds like you, um, well, you started with some domain knowledge. Obviously, this is esoteric stuff, so there is there is esoteric domain knowledge in your uh, company. How did you get started?
1: Definitely, so my co-founder and I, we studied engineering together. We were partners in every project. We've known each other since we're like 19. And um, after engineering, he got into Johnson & Johnson's engineering leadership program, built software there. Then he did a startup, that startup failed. And um, after the failure of that startup, he felt he needed to study accounting principles. So he went and studied accounting, went back to school, studied accounting, and his unique combination of accounting and engineering took him into the tax credit world because it's not an accounting problem, it's an engineering problem. The big four was like, oh, you have this unique combination of engineering and accounting. You can help our customers maximize these government incentives for innovation and R&D. After engineering, I pretty much only worked at startups. I worked at two venture-backed startups um, in product and growth, and they they weren't successes, although acquisitions. Then I did a couple other companies. I did Automatically, which was an AI, for customer service built on top of Zendesk, that failed. Then I did an AI for sales, Uh, it was called Speakeasy, uh, and it was incubated by Bessemer Ventures, that failed. And then Alex and I got together and he's like, man, there's this big problem here. Um, And you you can sort of use that as a beachhead to build a big company. And that problem is that there's hundreds of billions in government incentives for innovation, but it's a manual cumbersome process and uh, we can automate it but once you automate it you get access to all this data and i was coming from that sort of ai realm and so i'm like mm-hmm. yeah, you know the data is gold here because no company stitches technical data with financial data and banking data and if we're able to successfully stitch them together R&D incentives is the first thing you eventually then will start unlocking more and more value and you become the system of record for for r d and so that was the mission and we've been. Um, you know, we incorporated the Delaware C in 2017, um, Alex, prior to that, my co-founder, um, had a consulting firm, so after KPMG, he was doing already tax credit consulting. I was a partner in there while I was doing other projects. So we had like this sort of, you know, when you talk about market validation, I often tell other founders is like mm-hmm. do something really manually before you start building software. The best way is to just deliver the service manually and see if customers are happy. Like, you know, to mimic, yeah. like, you know, so you know the big four is coming at the end of the year. Well, if you had to automate it, but do it Wizard of Oz yourself manually, what would you do? So we had a, um, a number of customers. So it was very easy when we uh, when we incorporated Boast AI to then move them to the software. So that was how we validated mm-hmm. it. We knew we had happy customers on the manual. And
0: what, the, what about getting your first product out? Were you bootstrapping to get to the first product we with your consulting service?
1: We bootstrapped to about almost $10 million ARR, and uh, we, just, we just raised a round of funding uh, around Thanksgiving last year. And, and we... So
0: let's, we got- talk through, let's talk through the early uh, part of this. So you bootstrapped, you had validation because of your work, consulting work, and how much of that consulting client pool became customers of the product?
1: You know, what's really funny is uh, I have this thesis from, from failed companies, from failing automatically and, and speakeasy. Customers want an outcome. They don't want software. And I, I genuinely believe that. They're buying software for outcomes. They don't want fancy dashboards and whatnot. So mm-hmm. when we when we had these customers that we were doing manual work for, we just rolled them all over to software. They just get the outcome. They're, they're giving us their data. Like effectively what's happening is they're giving us their data, we're giving them a check. From the government and right? mm-hmm. and so it beautifully rolled in um and and, uh, and you know we continue to build more automation and and the other key learning there is you know, you can't build an ai company on day one right like the first thing is you need to get really good at data collection you need to collect lots and lots of data then you need yeah. to automate the that was my slot.
0: next question <laughs> yeah. how did you get the data to train your model
1: yeah so so you know the first step is you know the first the thing of every AI is like, you know, you need to collect the data and you need to get the data really well. And sometimes not sometimes in a lot of times, in most cases, that data collection may also need to be manual. You need to have humans in the loop to, to keep interjecting, to keep correcting and course correcting. Then, you know, you get into workflow automation. So you're automating the collection of that data still informed by humans. And then you get to a point where you have sufficient data where, um now machine learning starts to kick in like i'll give you an example from from automatically which was we did all our customer development it was it was ai for customer service automating customer responses and this Mm -hmm. was 2013-14 when the term chatbot didn't exist and we we did all our customer development with large enterprises and everyone said yeah you know what if we had a magic wand we would just want something to respond to our customers automatically because our, our our customer support team is not proactive, they're inundated. And we're like, call the company automatically. But when we tried to integrate with Oracle and Salesforce, they said, you gotta go through like a one year security review. So we panicked, we ran to Zendesk. Zendesk was all open. Um, So we built the app on their Zendesk marketplace. And actually we were the first chatbot that Zendesk had. It was on the right sidebar called automatically. And when a question Mm -hmm. would come in, we'd automatically, populate the answer. So when we launched on Zendesk, we had thousands of people signing up and then I started getting messages, make this thing stop. So I said, what happened here? And and I was noticing that these, uh, the chatbot was responding with gibberish. So we, so we then made it editor approved. It would pre-populate the answer. And still then they were like, the feedback was, you know what? I still have to edit a lot. And the key learning there was, Zendesk had a lot of SMB customers and they didn't have historical data sets so we couldn't you know accurately do like natural language generation or um or or like the the ai models weren't working as well that we were seeing on like say running a turing test on jetblue on twitter right because they have so much historical data so you can be 80 90 accurate and so you know we shuttered that and if I knew today, knew then what I know today, I would have realized the same thing. Customers want an outcome. I would have gone to all those customers and said, "You know what? What are your most common questions?" And done like an if-else lookup table. And that a lot was... easier,
0: actually. You don't need to do AI for so that. You just do a rule-based engine, and it works.
1: Exactly. And and what that that is what the <laughs> basics of AI is, right? It's a rules-based engine. But the, the what ended yeah. up happening was, um, I think the other learning from automatically was when you're a small startup, do things that don't scale. It's better to please 10 people than to please 10,000 people. But we had so many people sign up that I'm like, we can't even like, how do I go to all these people and now do the rules? It, it was just a mess. And and so boast was done very, very meticulously. Like It's like, okay, ma- do the work manually, figure out all the manual touch points, then okay, now how do you get the data? then rules engine and now ai sort of thing so that enabled us to bootstrap very significantly the other other thing also is when you're a bootstrap company you don't think of technology you think in terms of how do i keep my lights on (laughs) <laughs> how do, exactly. meaning meaning? How do I keep the customer? You have to keep the customer by any means possible. When you're in an accelerator yeah. or venture-backed, especially when you raise money early on, your mindset always is like goes towards experimentation. Oh, how do I build this? How do I build this technology? Like, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. I think early on you got to do things that don't scale, and so then we raise. So, this... so
0: let let me uh, probe one thing here, um, Lloyd, uh, on both. Uh, Did you first, when you were doing this manual uh, customer servicing, was it more a rule-based engine than a a pure AI?
1: So first it was um, um, like fully manual. The rules-based engine was like literally, um, uh, what do you call it? The Wizard of Oz MVP, like as Steve Blank calls it, right? Like it looks like sort of technology, but on the back end, humans are doing it. Then it uh, translated into, there's there's two elements, right? You're collecting data, and then you need to process that data, and then you generate the outcome. So then we started doing this data collection online where people can upload everything or integrations. Then there was the processing, because now you pull this data, you need to normalize it. And the thing is data that's coming from a payroll or bookkeeping is, is already pretty much, you know, they're, they're ones and zeros, but data coming from um, yeah. Your Jira and GitHub—they're not data. It's
0: not, it's not unstructured data. It's not uh, dirty data. It's very clean data.
1: Exactly, but Jira, GitHub data is unstructured data. Now, trying to figure out what yeah. projects qualify, and and who spent how much time on it—it's the hardest part making sense of unstructured data. And that project is still uh, sort of ongoing for us to make it better and better. And then we the third yeah and then the third piece is now how do you look at these data points and automatically write reports for the government right because now that is like writing it's like natural language generation and then you go into the realm of like gpt3 gpt4 so a lot of experimentation but your bootstrapping
0: phase was manually delivering how much tax credit would this company qualify for and the application to the government that's what your deliverable was right
1: exactly but to the client what the deliverable was i got a check from the government and i did not get a government audit
0: interesting and um but you have explained in the beginning that your business model is that you're financing that tax credit but um so the the business model was different in the beginning
1: the the business model uh, we have two business models one I mean, in both business models it's more or less the same. We take a percentage of the tax credit the company gets after they get it. Um, The financing just helps us bring forward the credit. So what happened was in December or in November, we closed our series A, we did a 23 million USD series A. And then in uh, February or March, we did a hundred million warehouse credit facility to lend against those tax credits because what was happening was entrepreneurs sit on these tax credits for a year and then file it and then get it. And so the the financing is a new thing, basically. We weren't financing right. so, until so, then.
0: So initially you were just providing the service of figuring out how much tax credit people would get and the application generation for that tax credit. And w- what was the business model? People were paying you a Percentage of the tax credit they would get back exactly, exactly.
1: exactly. And now, and they were paying
0: that after they got the tax, after they
1: got the money, after the check was in their bank, they would pay us. And that was a great model, right? Because a
0: long cycle, though, right? As governments take a long time to process these, no,
1: that's that was a very long cycle and a very stressful cycle because you know um we felt that if we wanted to compete with the big four because predominantly this is handled by big four right like like if if i look at it uh, what avalara did for sales tax or what vanta or tugboat logic is doing for SOC 2 we're doing for r d yeah we're doing for r d uh, tax credits because the big four predominantly does r d tax credits and they charge you by the hour and whatnot so we wanted to break that mold i think i think i I call that in a way value-based pricing right where they get value, then they pay us. It was a very long cycle. It was so stressful, you won't believe, because we're getting paid after the fact. But now we're at a point where, like, there's so many customers that are always in the hopper, uh, staggering year-ends across U.S. and Canada. So although the cash cycle is long, we're very cash-rich as a function of that.
0: <laughs> so, but how did you manage the early phase where you, were, you had to stay afloat to, to get paid?
1: Loans. Houses on, uh, you know, uh, on bank loans and uh, credit cards and very lean team of few people, self-funding it. How many my... were you? We, when we started, it was just me and my co-founder and then there were a whole bunch more people. Um, so it was hard making payroll and, you know, a lot of credit to my co-founder because he funded it out of his personal cash flow to um you know to make payroll many times. We also actually uh, you, know, uh, you know got, got loans where uh, I still remember my house and Alex's house was on the lean for the loan. Mm-hmm. So it was it was very hard times and uh, I think one of the things for us to personally stay afloat was you know our wives have been very supportive. My co-founder um, his wife is a GC at a public company. My wife's an ER physician at Stanford. Um, They've been very supportive. So I think one of the key learnings is if you wanna build an entrepreneurial venture and you can't eat and you wanna also bootstrap, then make sure you have a supportive spouse.
0: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, somebody has to pay the bills in the family. That's one of the things that we talk about all the time. And and, uh, what you're pointing to is, you know, bootstrapping with a paycheck, but in, in this case, bootstrapping with a spouse's paycheck.
1: Yeah, I mean, we didn't use their paycheck to pay uh, employees and uh, business expenses, but they, they supported the lifestyle at home, right? Uh, the yeah, car payments, right, the exactly. House payments. Somebody
0: has to pay the bills for the family. And, and uh, you know, it's all very well to say that you have to jump in with both feet and, and commit fully and all of that, but how do you keep your life afloat?
1: Exactly, and that was, uh, that was the whole thing. Uh, you know, we had been a part of venture back failure so we really pushed to bootstrap Um, and I often say if you build a company a product or service that people want and want to pay for um, money will follow and so uh, you know a big part of our growth strategy has been community-led growth Um, we sell to founders CEOs of technology companies and so when we started the company as failed founders we started doing these things called pizza nights and every time and it it would not be on R&D credits it would be on some topic because the CEO of a tech company needs more than just R&D credits. They need fundraising, they need angel money, they need hiring, scaling, all of this. So we do these pizza nights and those pizza nights sort of kept growing. More and more people started coming and it evolved into a big community. Today we have about 115,000 subscribers. We never call that community the Boost community. We call it Traction. And uh, today we do two webinars a week. We do monthly dinners in different cities. We do conferences, pop-up events and uh, every major tech ceo from twilio to sridhar at zoho have come to our events and spoken we donate the money from it but that community-led growth flywheel has been a big part of um, our revenue growth we've doubled pretty much every year
0: right? um, and so this how long did you hard. have to wo- operate in this very lean mode <laughs> you know depending on your wives and and so forth and really struggling to meet payroll be payroll before the money started to flow into the company
1: I think till about 2018-19 um, um, it 2018-19 uh, it was it was tough uh, then we could start taking uh, uh, money was flowing in in a way where it wasn't the biggest concern uh, we raised the money the the 23 million series a in November When we raised the money, we had 30 people.
0: November, 2020.
1: Yeah, 2020. Yeah. So when we raised the money, we had 30 people. Now we're over 100 people. Our CTO joined us from Avalara. We have a CMOs come from four acquisitions, one IPO. We have a very active board member who just sold her company for a billion. And previously she was the SVP at uh, Intuit. And we brought in a really solid team. And so now it's a different story. The business is (laughs) cash rich and you
0: money, were at 10 million uh
1: ARR Not Not ARR the ARR is not your business model right the way we we look at it as ARR because for every year a company does R&D they pay us so it's a recurring revenue because although we take a percentage it's very consistent with how much R&D they do mm-hmm. so that's how we that's how we model it out and and yeah so we were close to that i think like very close to that and that's where that's where we took and so
0: when you raise uh, money
1: yeah, then we then we raise money very close to it. I I would say right. We were on the path. We we basically had a solid line of sight to, to hit ten, and so the, this year we'll have uh, you know hopefully grow close to double from that.
0: So what? Uh, how many customers is ten million ARR? How many customers is twenty million ARR for you?
1: Yeah, so we're close to a thousand customers. Um, and twenty million would be around 2,000 customers, more or less. So like we're like in, that, in that range. Or depending on, on where you target, right? We're going more and more upmarket. We're targeting larger and larger companies where that, uh, that sort of window starts uh, decreasing a little more. Our team is crushing it in the sense that it's funny, if you looked at our, our uh, new logo uh, metrics from last couple years, about 60% was referrals. Which is insane. Uh, and we had only four sales people. Now we've built an SDR team. We've we've doubled right. the sales team, and they're all generating. So now referrals is balanced out with sales development, and then you know other marketing activities, kind of thing. Which is good. You want to talk,
0: thin- talk about the fintech business um, after you raised financing last year. It's it's almost coming up to a year that you have had money in the company, big money in the company. So, you have introduced a fintech business. Talk about how that fintech business is evolving, and and you know what is what does that do to the financials?
1: Definitely. So from a fintech from a fintech perspective, uh, the way we look at it is we're sitting on this trove of technical and financial data, particularly financial data, right? We're integrating with the payroll we're integrating with bookkeeping we're able to pull banking data so the FinTech aspect of that is there's all these R&D credits and incentives that people sit on and they sit on it for more than a year so the FinTech aspect of it is can we lend you the money now to lend them the money we need to underwrite a few aspects of it we need to one underwrite does this person qualify for the R&D credit? Because it's not like we lend them the money 16 months ahead or, or 12 months ahead, and then the government says they don't qualify. So that's aspect one. Two, is this business even stable, <laughs> right? Because if you lend them the money yeah. and they go out of business, then we're taking a loss. So those are all the things we're figuring out. We'll, um, we'll have a – we've had a number of customers in beta on that product, and we'll launch it in a big way in – sometime in Q4 or January for the next uh, next season. And I see huge potential there because a lot of banks are now coming to us and saying, you're sitting on this unique data set. Can you then, you know, uh, offer them other types? Like, can you offer them credit card? And can you offer them um, not only lending against R&D credits, but other things? And, and you know, we have two options here. We can either take the risk or we can partner with people like a ClearCo or a Cap Chase or a Citibank kind of thing. So those are the things we're thinking through. Is like how much do we do? Because ultimately, um, you know, as a founder, you want to minimize your risk, right? And uh, the capital risk is is hard. So like we understand the R and capital is
0: risk is very hard, very hard. So uh, now, what does that do to the business model? You were. Taking a percentage of the tax credit and you were getting paid when they got paid by the government. Now you're financing it. What, how does that change the business model?
1: Our goal is to not extend it severely because we were building more and more automations. So our goal is to figure in that financing within sort of our traditional fees. Maybe it may go up a couple of points. Uh, it improves our net revenue retention significantly because now financing, even if it adds a couple thousand dollars to the ACV, then it improves the NRR, right? So if sure. somebody's financing it, then it it slightly improves the NRR from like our NRR is 100%, but we have no upsell product. So now like, okay, everyone is taking financing, then it adds uh, a couple points to that NRR. Well, and not only
0: that, I think this is where you don't need to take the financing risk. This is something you can bring in, financing partners who will provide the capital and take the financing risk, and you just act as the facilitator in between, and you take a couple of points for providing that service to to the lenders, and you're done.
1: I'm a big fan of embedded lending. Actually, I angel invest uh, as well. I'm an LP in about six funds, and I'm a big uh, one. A couple of the companies I've invested in are in the embedded lending space. Uh, I like this because I feel like you know, I, I've, I've, uh, there's a, a thesis by Matt Harris at Bain, and he says the first first tech platform was the internet, and then then came um, the cloud, which brought intelligence. Then came mobile, which brought uh, made connectivity ubiquitous. Now it's value exchange. So embedding. Payments, embedding lending, embedding insurance, all this is huge. And if you look at it, Shopify's payments revenue is soon gonna exceed their subscription revenue. So I'm, I'm a huge That's fan right. of that. If you have a customer base, there's no reason why you can't partner with somebody to offer them lending, like you know, to service those receivers. Well and all the payments.
0: banks have this facility to do lending. What exactly. they're lacking is proprietary data sets against which to evaluate lending You know applications and so forth so if you bring that to the table you can easily get a few percentage points with taking no risk at all
1: exactly and that is that is a hundred percent so that's that's where we're thinking is like hey do we uh, do you want it on your balance sheet which we don't want it because balance sheet companies the valuations are crap so like how do you do these facilities where they're sitting on somebody else's balance sheet they're taking the end end risk you're doing the underwriting and you're getting a few points
0: yeah that's great wonderful well I love what you're doing Lloyd and thank you for reaching out. I enjoyed talking to you um, we will keep in touch and follow what you're doing
1: definitely thanks so much and you know when this is live we'll also promote it to our community thanks for all the great work you're doing Smarna, and uh, I um, you know I love your show and I've watched uh, and and read many many blog posts it's very inspiring and it takes a village they say to build a startup and you know collectively you know you're building a great great community and hopefully a lot more than a million entrepreneurs and successful startups
0: thank you thank you thanks for coming